We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Rob Osgood says, looking like June is going to be a busy month with recruits. Great intel on the IB board. Got to check it out. It's worth it. I agree, Rob. Mm -hmm. I agree. A lot, a lot of good stuff today. Sean Kane asks, what offense, Ryan, I'll kick this over to you. What offense on Notre Dame's schedule not named Ohio State matches up best with the Notre Dame defense? I wouldn't say OSU or USC because their O-line will get destroyed. That's a good question. So which offense is... Matches up best against Notre Dame from a a negative standpoint for Notre Dame, right? So whose yeah. offense get should give Notre Dame the toughest matchup? Hmm. That's a really that is, good one. That is a really good one. I'm I'm looking up the. Hmm. I I'll tell you. I, I'll be honest with you. It, I need to see who ends up starting at quarterback. Okay. But I think a case could be made that it could be North Carolina. Just their their line, I have similar issues, but Josh Downs is a dynamic player that's every bit as dynamic, if not more so than uh than um than Mario Williams. The reason I say the quarterback, Ryan, because the one thing that has been a bit kryptonite to Notre Dame is a mobile quarterback. Mm-hmm. And depending on who wins that job, there's a chance they could have a very mobile quarterback on that roster. And we saw what happened last year with a guy like Sam Howe, who's not necessarily a great runner. I mean, good runner, good athlete. But he worked mm-hmm. Notre Dame running the ball. So as I he look did. at him, like, give me a team that has a, a quarterback that can do damage with his legs. That's not really – I mean, Caleb can run. Caleb's a good runner. I mean, but he's not a guy that I'm like, wow, he went out and ran for a 100. You know, I, I just – I don't uh, I don't see that. But if North Carolina, depending on who starts a quarterback, it could be them. I, I think the other one would be, is there a team that can, can be big and physical and control the clock? BYU would be another one that I would think about in that regard. BYU is so, interesting. Yeah. yeah. They're, they're yeah. interesting. They got a good quarterback the, coming back as well. Yeah. Jaron Hall is a pretty good quarterback in his own right. You know, the team that I think is going to be a little bit of a pesky team. So this is the team that I wanted to mention real quick with Syracuse, honestly, because that you mentioned yeah. the Schaefer quarterback. Schaefer, yeah. yeah Shader. Um, he can run. 
They have a good running back in Sean Tucker. And I actually just watched their left tackle, Matthew Bergeron, recently. He's a, he's a dude, man. Yeah. He's pretty good. He's a draftable player next year. So Their I, best I think, receiver left. That would be Josh my Harris only thing did. there is yeah. I just don't think they have enough in the past. See, they're the opposite of the other teams we're looking at, right? Like USC yeah. and, and, and North Carolina, it's like, can they play do well enough in the trenches to give them their name problems? I like, think we would both agree that North Carolina mm-hmm. in the seven-on-seven is going to give problems because they got some athletes over there at receiver. Same yeah. with USC, but the line is the question mark. Mm-hmm. With Syracuse, is the exact opposite. With BYU, the exact opposite. Like, I, I does BYU have the athletes on the perimeter to give Notre Dame problems? They've got the quarterback no. in the lines, I think. Uh, Syracuse, same way. I, that, that Syracuse offensive line was sneaky solid last year. I mean, yeah. Sean Tucker you, had a really left, good year, and he didn't do it all by himself. Yeah, I'm telling you, the left tackle is a good player, man. Yeah. Like, I, I, um, I think I put like a fourth round grade on him. He's a pretty good player. He's a Canadian kid, and. uh like I said, the, the Garrett Schrader kid that was at Mississippi State at, at one point, he he's a really good athlete, man. He's a big kid, too. He's like 6'4", 220-something. Mm-hmm. Like I think off that read game, especially because Notre Dame's going to have some defensive ends next year that you're going to be like, yes, I want to get their, their ears pinned back a little bit. Running that read option that they're going to run out there in Syracuse, I think can slow them down just a little bit. So I just think that element of that inside zone, zone read kind of, situation that Syracuse probably gonna be running a lot I think that can give you a little bit of tough time yeah. like it's 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 going to make you think if anything else there's sure. gonna be a lot of moving parts to it sure I, I think I think another part another team I'd say is if BC would have had a couple of those linemen that could have come back like Tyler Vrabel I still can't believe he went pro early that made no sense to me and then he went undrafted you'd think with his dad that he would have a little bit better guidance than like than that unless he just didn't want to be in college anymore that was yeah. odd to me. It was really odd. Yeah. But, I mean, skill-wise, BC's got some dudes coming back. I mean, Zay Flowers is, you know, in the conversation of who's the best receiver that Notre Dame's going to face this year. I don't mm-hmm. know if I'd go with Zay, but he's in the conversation. That's for sure. Yeah. You know, George Takis is a good football player. They've got other good receivers. I mean, I think I think Jalen Gill's Gil. still there. Jalen Gill, uh, yeah. The, the running back they have had went for over 1,000. Yeah, he went for over 1,000 last year. And of course, I will say this: they got some, they, they got some athletes. Yeah, and they, they might be losing four out of five offensive linemen, but I mean, traditionally, Boston College develops offensive line pretty well, and the one that they do have coming back, Christian Mahogany, is a yeah, really good guard. Good so he's he's a good football player. Yeah. So yeah, I I think Boston College, I just Zay Flowers is going to give you a lot of tough tough matchups yeah. on the outside, but or even working in the slot a little bit too. But I just don't know. Like Jalen Gill is a good player. They have another wide receiver who's a taller kid who's a solid player, but. I don't know if they have anybody else outside of Flowers that's going to stress you from an athleticism. See, I th- here's here's where I'm going to somewhat disagree with you on that. I think that they have guys that, to me, can give you problems because you have to focus on Zay Flowers and you have to fo- focus on their six foot five, two hundred forty pound quarterback who scrambles all around and then you lose contain and he throws it over your head. Like it's that kind of stuff with BC that scares me more than just Phil sitting back and picking you apart and hitting this receiver, that receiver, this receiver, the other receiver. To your point. Right. Yeah. I think when you factor in the specifics of that offense, do they have three guys that if you put Bryce Young back there would scare me? No, that Mm -hmm. that part I somewhat agree with. I think they've got some good players. I wish I wish CJ Lewis would have come back. I would have liked to see him come back and develop. Was he not back? I thought he was back. No, he 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 transferred. He he, Mm. maybe he came back, but he entered the portal. Uh, I like Jaden Williams, the uh, the freshman they had last year, and again George Tackers. I think there's some some good solid players there, especially with the fact that you have Phil Jerkovic. Because again, all those guys that we're going to we, we could talk about, 
are mm-hmm. guys that if you lose contain because you're focused on Phil running around, just like we saw two years ago in this matchup, you're you're he can hurt you. And I think the addition of George Takis is something to, to consider as well there as also. I, so it, and, it's going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I don't want to go too much into Boston College, but I, I look forward to the the preview of that going into the week because mm-hmm. I'd be really interested to see cornerback wise what they do there. I mean, because I yeah. think most people are going to say, you know, do you just put your best corner camp hard on a guy like a Zay Flowers? But I think like a Tariq Bracy would be a really yeah. interesting matchup against a Zay Flowers he can run with from them. a style perspective. Yeah, he can yeah. run with him. That's the only the only kid that we know of right now that can run with him. Yep. So yes, that's a very very interesting point, Ryan. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Irish Gordian Knot. Who was your childhood favorite player? Mine was Tom Zibikowski. So he just kind of aged himself. So he's a, a younger Notre Dame fan. <laughs> That's kind of how you know how old people are. So who was your favorite player when you were a kid? And it's like, okay, well, you're young or you're old. Uh, what What about you, Ryan? Who's your favorite? Uh, man, I'd be I curious feel to bad. hear while Ryan's I, I feel... thinking. I want to hear everybody else's too. I always love yeah. these conversations because sometimes you get the most random player. Like that guy was your favorite player? Like on that team, you know, <laughs> Ned Bolkar was your favorite player, like of, of really like, you know what I mean? Um, which is really fun to have those conversations. But yeah, who would your who would your favorite player be, Ryan? My my answer may have been Tom Zabikowski as well. I used to may have he was really good player, man. I just like what, what was that one game where he just like let the punt bounce forever and then he pissed, scooped it up late and took it was back it North to- Carolina? It may have been, man. I just that one like stays with me for some reason. He was just such a tough player. Like he was just so much fun to watch. I liked him a lot. You know, I really liked this kind of a random one, I guess. I really like John Carlson. I don't know why. Okay. I really yeah. John Carlson. He was a really good tight end. But yeah, he was. So so is Anthony Fasano just a little bit too old too? No, nah, I remember the Fasano year, man. Fasano, okay. Fasano was my dad's dude because he got drafted to Miami, right? And my dad's a Miami Dolphins. Fan. And he was a jerk. He loves, he yeah, loves right? Fasano. So, yeah. That's another yeah. reason I thought you'd be a 
Fasano guy. Yeah, I like I like Fasano. I mean, I loved Brady Quinn. I love Darius Walker. I love that whole um, you know, early Charlie team. Like that was yeah. a really good. Brady team. was clearly my favorite player from that team. But my favorite uh, player growing up player. was was Rocket Ismail, and it, my close second was was uh, Tony Rice. And my favorite defensive player on that team was Todd Light. So he just you know the big old shoulder pads and playing corner and hitting people and. Yeah, yeah. You know who else I liked? Random one. So well, not sort of random. He was he was one of the best players on that team. But Derek Landry was a yeah. really good yeah. defensive tackle. Man, he was so yeah. good. Yeah, he was he was really good. He was him and Trevor player. Laws was were a really 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 big, big it really really and good fun. interior group. There's no yep. doubt about that. Derek Grace and Duke Way as well. Yes. Shouldn't have done the Duke Speaking Way. Speaking of former favorite Notre Dame players, my guy Jared Grace. Happy Friday, y'all! Listening to Irish Breakdown to relax before a big exam tomorrow. Nothing better, my man. Appreciate that very, very much, Jared. And good luck. Uh, Jared is is trying to become, I believe, a doctor. So, uh, which means he's a lot smarter than us. So, yes. uh, and I'm not afraid to admit it. Irish Gordon Knott, what do you think of the idea of having a jeweled Shalala as our turnover chain? The leprechaun would hold it and run over to the sideline and hand it over and do a jig with the player. Uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't like the turnover chain stuff, man. Like, I don't, I don't need that. I just don't. I, good answer. Yeah. I'd, I'd like, the, hey, we're always going to tap the, tap the side on the way out. Sure. I, don't, I don't need any little yeah. gimmicky thing during the game. I just don't. If they were to, the only thing I would be okay with is if, they did something where a Notre Dame creed or motto was on a sign. And when you have a big play or a stop, you, you hit the sign. It's kind of like following a tradition that already exists, but I just like, okay, so Miami started the turnover chain. So now everybody's got to try to be like Miami. It's just Notre Dame. Don't need to be like Miami, be Notre Dame, set a trend, do something that's more team related. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I'd rather see something like that. Ryan, then, uh, then a turnover chain. We're on the, I agree. I agree. You know, Ryan, I know, I know I'm a very random person. Sometimes I think it's my ADHD that kicks in, mm-hmm. but I just wanted to put a real quick uh, random notes for a former mm-hmm. Notre Dame player that was just in the chat. We just had Carlisle holiday. Someone put in there. Nice. Did you know that Brett Favre's when Brett Favre broke the record for most completions in a career, it was to Carlisle holiday. I did not know that. I knew he Packers. played receiver for the Packers. I had no idea that he was the guy. That, that was him, man. Yep. I remember That's that vividly. He caught it. I was like, oh, wow, that's Carlo Holiday. That's so cool. Yep. That's really fun. I remember how big of a recruit he was coming out of high school. Like, I mean, that was such a big win for Notre Dame. And a year where they signed three quarterbacks. It was him. It was Jared Clark and Matt Lavecchio. And and Matt Lavecchio is the guy that ended up starting as a freshman. It was so, so odd. But I loved Jared Clark's film. He was so athletic. He just was raw. And they didn't coach him up at all. But uh, he was he was a really good player. We'll get down here to some more questions. We got a lot of great ones here today, y'all. Appreciate you guys all so much. You guys and gals all so much. Matt, 2011 GT with a super chat. This may have already been discussed, but can you confirm the Impemba has set up a visit to Notre Dame? I know that Tom Loy has reported that he's visiting the 17th or the 19th. I have no reason to doubt Tom on that, uh, but mm-hmm. we haven't been able to confirm that. And the only time we put things on our board is if we can confirm. Uh, it's a bad business to start confirming, like just reporting things that other people have done, no matter how much you may like or trust or think that they're correct or that's just not how we do it. So unfortunately, we haven't had a chance. We are working on it. We've been working on it for a few days. Actually, we've been working on it for a while, but he just doesn't he's not responsive. So we've got some other people trying to help us with that as well. But if you go on the board, there's a lot of other players. A lot of other ones. Yes, sir. Yes. yes, sir. Wade Garrett with a super chat. We have confirmed that Jaden Osbury will be on campus June 10th. And that's that's the one for me. People talk about favorite players. 
that might be my favorite player in the 2023 class. Like just like favorite, like not best or most important. Just there's just something about that kid. I love that kid on film, right? And then you hear him mm-hmm. talk, and you're like, man, this kid's like sharp. And then you hear about his academic, you know, desires, and you're like, this, this is this is like to me the kind of kid we should be promoting as like the face of what college athletics is supposed to be about. Feel that tremendous football player, great student. Like I, there's just something about that kid, I, and I like underdogs, right? Like not that he's an underdog; mm-hmm. he's a top fifty national recruit, but like he doesn't have that physical profile of what you know the 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 the, the elite guys have. You know, he's not that toolsy six four two thirty athletic guy. He's just he's just a football player. He's it's why John and Vilma was always one of my favorite non Notre Dame players. Mm-hmm. Like based on t- on measurables, that kid had no business being an elite player. None. Yep. But he was an elite player. He sure was, was a really good player, especially in college. We we should in the in the NFL draft space. There's a big thing about calling people your like my guys, our mm-hmm. guys. Like those are our guys in the cycle. We should we should do that, man. Because my yeah. I mean, I'm just thinking like Jaden Greathouse, Monroe mm-hmm. Freeling. Those are my oh, guys yeah. this cycle. They're yeah. my guys. Well, you've been on the Greathouse thing for a while. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's fun. Like just kind of like pick our. We should do a show like our our, our five favorite recruits in this class. Not yeah, not best. But our five favorites, favorites. Yeah. just got for whatever reason. I mean, I just love watching this kid play. I love that. Uh, Dante Moore's in that one for me. We'll have to think about that. Like just the ones that pop off, pop my head. Uh, Jaden Greathouse is another. And then Keon Keeley. I remember when I first watched him, I was like, oh my gosh, this kid is so good. When they first yeah. offered him, I was like, they got to get this kid. They got to get this kid. Jason Moore is another for me. Dad. Yeah. Oh, yeah, man, that kid is he's that really a freak. Good. He's really <laughs> freak. And he's fun to watch. He's like, you know, it's just like, man, this kid's got so much tools and. And a motor. Yes, <laughs> yes, 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 absolutely. Uh, Patrick Tolan, f- best favorite player. Thank you for a super chat. Pat Koontz. So that's a, that's an, like I said, random players. Always, always have these random, random guys. Wade Garrett with a super chat. Hi, guys. Sorry if you've talked about this before, but what is the time frame for Logan Diggs to be out from his surgery? Will he miss time this season? Notre Dame has not confirmed what his time is, Ryan. They have not said when it will be. Uh, I have simply looked up uh, what a, the time frame normally is for a torn labrum. And if I remember correctly, it is uh, four to six months. I, I, ha- I ha- I've torn both labrums on my shoulder. I think mine was about six months. That was a long okay. time ago at this point, but yeah. just from a general sense. Six yeah. to eight months, excuse me, is what it is. So I just looked that up. Six to eight months to be fully back and ready to go. Which would, you know, surgery happen in what early May, late April, excuse me. So that would put him out into the season. But again, that's just us going off of a of what the medical things that I've read about the time frame. We don't know. We don't know the severity of it. We don't know if it was a full tear, a part. Because if it's just like, you no, know, because it's like a, you know, like I had a torn rotator cuff, but it was like a small one, and I could play through it. Uh, and then there's some where like, no, you're not playing through that because you can't lift your arm. You know, it just <laughs> it just depends on the severity of it. So I don't want to report that it is six to eight months or that he will miss time. We're not saying that because Notre Dame has not told us that. We don't know those specifics. We're just simply saying normally on a just a, a normal tear, this would be the time frame that he'd be out. I just want to make sure that we're clear on that. Want to also be clear on something else. Scott Yerbeck says, what time is, is Sullivan Absher committing today? Four o'clock. We will East have East. a show at four o'clock as well. Uh, we will we will be there to, to carry his his uh, his announcement. We'll talk about 
what it means for Notre Dame one way or the other afterwards and uh, have a good fun show. So you're going to want to be back for that as well. Let's get back to some more questions. Here we go. We already got that one. Irish Gordy Knott also says, what do you think of the idea? Oh, we asked that one too. Yes, we did. Yep. Place and I forgot to delete those. I can use a little help there, assistant over there. Right? I got you. I got you. <laughs> you take them out after I ask them so I don't look like an idiot and bring up three questions. <laughs> it's your job here. Like what would you I'm say? Sorry. You You're sorry. Make sure I don't look like an idiot. I'm I'm um, the I'm I'm the chat guy. I'm the chat guy. I got you. I'm finding the questions. You take them off when I've asked them. So I'm kidding, obviously. Uh John Leahy says, Will we see the February signing day become relevant again, or will most classes be signed by the early signing day? I think that I think everything John is cyclical, right? Like there's going to be something that happens, some rule where you're going to get, I don't think we're ever going to see February be like the mass recruiting signing period until it changed. The rules change. Like if they were to go to a summer, summer signing, which is what I think. It, or, I mean, how is it an early signing period when it's a month and a half before the normal signing period? That makes no sense to me, right? right? So it just seems dumb. I personally mm-hmm. think a signing day should be like a late July. So all these kids that are committed and are like, I don't want other schools calling me. I don't want this. I don't want that. I just want to commit and sign and be done with it. I think that should be end of July, to be honest with you. They start high school season. Teams are going to start camp. It's over with. And then have yeah. the next one be February. Unless they make a rule change like that, John, we're just not going to see February be the mass thing that it was. But I think what you're going to find is if NIL continues to be a part of the enticement, you're going to start seeing more and more big name kids waiting because they're going to let all those kids get off the board and then it becomes a bidding war. Okay, I'm the last five star quarterback standing. Who wants me? You know? Can you, yeah. I mean, can you, can you? It's it's a good point, and it's it's a troubling point though too. I mean, it's going to be fascinating to watch whoever that last big name quarterback on the board is, and see if that's like how what a, what big of an impact that is. It's a great point. It really is. I I think for Notre Dame, it's not going to matter as much as far as the February signing day. Like I I feel like for for and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, Brian, but I feel like Notre Dame gets their class pretty early, typically, it seems like, right? And mm-hmm. there's not usually, like, a lot of uncertainty heading into that final day. So, but I, I think you did also make a good point. I, a month and a half spring out of the two signing days is very odd, I agree. I feel yeah. like it should be, like, a six-month dis- difference, four-month right. difference, like, something that's a little right. more substantial than a month and a half. It just doesn't seem like enough separation. Right. I agree. I agree. John Murray, who do you feel are the most effective tacklers in the Notre Dame secondary corners and safeties? Hmm. Well, I think Brandon Joseph, if he gets back to being the guy he was in 2020, is a very good tackler. You, yeah. I mean, he, he, he missed he's a lot a, of tackles last year, but he was playing out yeah. of control a lot more last year because he had yeah, he's he's not like a he's not like a heavy hitter, but he's just a really tackler. solid wrap-up tackler. Yeah. yeah. I agree. I, I think Cam Hart has high upside as a tackler. Like he makes some tackles where you're just like, wow, that's it needs to get more consistent, yeah. but there's some there's some high, high level tackles on his film for a corner. One of the concerns I have about this defense is the fact that I can't just sit there and say, boy, of these really good tacklers. I mean, Houston Griffith hasn't been a good tackler. DJ Brown is good if he can get you get his hands on you, but he's just right. not good in space. Yep. Ramon Henderson has been good in limited time, but it's just not enough knowing him. Mm-hmm. Xavier Watts is a pretty good tackler. He, he's mm-hmm. a guy that's been a good tackler. 
You know, Tariq Bracey's a, an underrated tackler. He's just not real big, so he can get kind of trucked. But like when he has, when he was outside of like a couple game stretch in 2020 when he'd kind of lost it, Tariq's a solid tackler. He just, he's just got to, you know, he's not strong. So sometimes he gets a little bit engulfed in blocks. But when he has to tackle in space, Ryan, I think he's a pretty good tackler. Clarence Lewis is an okay tackler. I think he'll take a jump this year. Because he, yeah. I mean, we forget he was just a sophomore last year. He's a young kid he's, still. He's solid in the run game. Yeah, it's not bad. He'll, and he'll no. get better as he gets older and stronger. Because he's a willing tackler. That's the thing about Clarence. He's a willing tackler. And I think now with more experience and all that, I, I, I think it's good. Here's a good question so, that I was. Go yeah. ahead, Ryan. Oh, go ahead. Oh no, I was just going to say. So, so would you agree to the fact of like, let's say the top three tacklers right now in the secondary? My answer would be Cam Hart, Brandon Joseph. And Tariq Bracey, would you agree with that? Or would you disagree? For their position. Obviously, yeah. safety should be a better tackler than a corner, yeah. right? Yeah, like kind of, yeah, yeah. I, I'd, I'd, I'd say I'd, I'd want to think more about Lewis versus Bracey. But my initial reaction would be say yes. Uh, yeah. It gets, yeah. Especially when you consider factors, you know, like, Cam being a corner in his first year. But, yeah, outside of that play against Virginia Tech, I thought Cam was a really – because part of being a good tackler to me, and and this is the reason that I hesitate with Tariq, because if Tariq's not being blocked, he's a really good in-space tackler. And that's not meant to be an insult. It's like – because some guys aren't. DJ Brown's not. I mean, he just – he's not elusive. He takes bad angles. He just, in the past, hasn't been a good tackler. Hopefully that changes. But – the problem with Tariq is Tariq struggles to get off blocks. I think Clarence does a better job of, of block destruction because he's just bigger and stronger than Tariq is. Uh, so if, if Clarence can become better at the point of the football, I think he could get past Street. But but as far as just when they arrive at the football, Tariq's yes, is in that conversation, if that makes sense. So, yes. I uh, yeah, We'll see. We'll see. Here's a good one I've been waiting on people to ask. Saw that the ACC is thinking of uh, about a 3-5-5 schedule. How will this affect Notre Dame? So is it three three five, right? Isn't it a three three five schedule? I, I could be wrong, but basically sure. the the point is they're going to get rid of divi- the the proposal is to get rid of divisions, and then you have like three rivals that you play all the time. Here, let me let me let me pull it up and read what they have. Let me just let me just find it here real quick because it's it's a really it's a three five five. Okay, it is a three five five. I. You know, still thinking defense. Okay, so it says here that the, the proposal is a scheduling model in which league teams would play three permanent opponents, would be like rivals, then rotate through the through the rest over a two year period, five one year, five the next. So it's basically trying to get more teams on your schedule more consistently, which I, I, I'm fine. I think that's smart. I. I hate the fact that Bama and Georgia almost never play in the regular season. It's yeah. stupid. And and it's done on purpose. It's a it's a way to manipulate your schedule to where your best teams don't play the best teams from the other league. Like I'm trying to remember Ohio State and Iowa. Mm-hmm. Let me let me look this up because that's another one that I've always wondered like, well that's kind of weird. Like why don't they ever play more often in the regular season? Right. So the last time that they played was 2017, a game that Iowa won 55 to 24. They've had some really good games before then. Ohio State had a 10 point win in 13, three point win in 10, 
three-point win in, in, in 09. Like, they've had some competitive games. 04, Iowa beat them. And I was a consistently good team in the West, and they never have to play Ohio State. So literally, in since Brian Kelly became the head coach at Notre Dame, to give you how long that's been, Ohio State and Iowa played three times. Mm-hmm. That's it. So Ohio State gets the duck, arguably the best program, second best program in the West in a 12-year period. They only got playing three times. Right. I just, you know, I don't I don't love that. I don't think that's how it should be. And I just think you should have you should see teams more often. Maybe you don't play as many teams as much, because that's the thing is in the divisions, you're gonna play six teams every year. Mm-hmm. It's now getting rid of how many teams you play every year. So, you know, that's something, Ryan, that I'm that I'm a I'm, I'm attracted by that notion. Yeah. But it would have, there's, there's still, even then there's still some, some kinks. I think you'd have to work out a little bit, in my opinion. I, I love the fact that there's the three inherent rivals that are kind of locked in way. every year. Yeah. That's, that's awesome. Yeah. I, as long as we're not compromising those, that that's an inherent thing in college football is you love those rivalries. Right. So as long as you're inherently keeping that and then you're, I mean, I th- I don't see any harm in rotating the schedule at all. I mean, you're, if, as long as you're because you're, you're going to see different matchups, and that'll also sell. You know, is seeing teams that don't play as often, maybe as as they typically do. So, yeah, I love that proposal personally. I mean, I I'm trying to like stretch stretch my mind a little bit for like the big drawbacks of it, and I just I'm not finding too much. I think that it's yeah, yeah. I think there's a lot of positives to it. I think the drawbacks are is if you're not doing home and homes you run the risk of there being some in it, d- disadvantages of you played a team when they were at their best at their place. And then you didn't get them again until a couple years later at your place. And it was a different team. They were, they're not as good. You're not, you're, you're, you know, you missed them when you had the great year. I always kind of like the idea of playing the same, you know, in conference, you know, like when you're doing a non-conference schedule, you know, kind of having that home and home, but it's a conference schedule. So it's a little bit different. So I think that would be the only drawback, but it's not like a huge drawback for me. You know, and you wonder how can you make it work to have, you know, 14 to 16 teams in a conference and not have divisions. And I think this is a way to try to make it work, you know, and then you're playing eight conference games and you still have all your room for your four non-conference games. So it's a, it's a very interesting. And and my understanding is it doesn't impact Notre Dame's schedule, schedule with them at all. Because number one, the ACC is not willing to pay Notre Dame that big of a fine for getting out of their scheduling thing, but it doesn't change the number of conference games at all, right? So, like, the only way it would maybe impact Notre Dame is if the ACC went to a nine-game conference schedule. They may say like, "We got nine games plus five teams a year already have Notre Dame built in." It, it it's not changing anything in regards to when they would play conference games, how many conference games they would play. It just it just changes who they're going to play in conference. So it has no impact on Notre Dame at all. It won't have any impact on like non-conference, like uh, I mean non-conference of like rivals. So like it won't have any impact on Clemson versus South Carolina, Georgia, Georgia Tech, games like that. It won't it won't impact at all. I don't believe. Uh, it just is gonna. It just means okay. So you don't play the same six teams in your division every year. You're only gonna play three, and then the rest is gonna be more of a you know, a mix up. So it'll, it'll be interesting. And then, and then the other thing I don't necessarily love about it is it, I have to, again, do look more into the five and five, but is it like, is it the same five every other year? Like, I just would need to know more about it. Cause then that could have some issues as well. Like, okay, 
So you're that team that gets in stuck in a, every other year. You've got to play Clemson, Florida State, Miami, you know, and Louisville all in the same year, right? Like how you're going to mix that group up uh, in, you know, it's be kind of interesting to see how all of it plays out. But good questions on that. Ty- Terry, Tyler, is it possible we land CJ Carr and Julian Sand? No. no, I mean, that's about as unlikely as I would say as a proposition. I mean, both kids are highly ranked players at this point. I mean, they're top 100, top 50 caliber quarterbacks, you know, basically by every platform. And I mean, some people have, you know, both those guys in five star status in, in, in a couple different platforms. So mm-hmm. now very unlikely. I think I think you're one quarterback in the next year cycle is more than likely. Maybe there is a throw in, you know, potential guy, but n- not too highly ranked kids like that. Very unlikely. Here's a question. Coach Bent, 574, just joined the IB board today. Thank you. Welcome aboard. What are your thoughts on writers swapping out their predictions on their sites days before a kid makes his official announcement? I think it's garbage. Yeah. For two it, it reasons. Should, it, should, it should stay. When you put you it should, in, that's all it is. You should get to me one change. Mm-hmm. And it can't be within like a certain number of time before his, before his, before his commitment. Right. And you can't, once a kid has set a commitment date, you can't change it. So you, you know, you, 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 so Sullivan Absher locks in May, May 13th. You can't change it. Cause what ticks me off is you get all these guys go on this run. So like, you know, someone that covers the kids recruitment will, will do a crystal ball. And then like the Rutgers site and then the Iowa site and then the Washington state site and all these people, make their prediction so they can get their score up. And it's like, you know, someone's like, oh, so-and-so has a 95%. No, he doesn't. He, no, he doesn't. He changes the, – the guy changes it before the kid commits when everybody knows where a kid's going to go. And that that's garbage to me. So not only is it like give you an, an accurate representation of a guy's prediction model, like I had somebody say, well, you know, so-and-so is really good at predicting guys going to – like, based on what? Was present? No, no, because he he changes it, right? Like – Guy had this the whole time until everybody knew it was going to be this. So he changed it. That that doesn't tell me anything. And and you know and then 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 there's a part that I hate, Ryan. That it's the whole you're taking a kid's moment. Like there's no doubt where Sullivan Absher is going to go at this point in time. There, there was not a question. There was no question about who Devin Houston was picking on the seventh. And I don't love right. that. I don't love that. And that's what I yeah. dislike about the crystal balls. And that's why we don't do it. No, we don't do something like that. It's just their 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 rating should be at least knocked somehow right. if you do a last minute switch. Like there should right. be some deduction or something because right. it's it's very misleading to, to into your to your point. There is like yes, I mean when a when a especially a kid that's involved with Notre Dame, right? Like leading up to it a couple of days beforehand, we know where they're going. So that's not you you didn't predict anything. Like you knew what the outcome was going to be. Right. So that should, your rating should definitely be affected somehow if you're doing something like that there's no doubt yeah. yep all right here's from or, or, maybe, re- or maybe it's like weighted so i'm just like thinking out loud maybe it's well weighted, it is so kind of like, weighted to further yeah. out that you make your prediction the more points you get so that's why okay. people throw out these super early predictions because they're like well you know this is gonna happen then so i'm gonna throw it in now because that's where i think it's trending and then i can always change it later mm-hmm. so i think if you're if you if you do it later you're gonna you know yeah, there's a lot of different things, but that, but they're not doing it for accuracy or they're doing it for clicks. That's the, that's yes. the reason they do it. It's all about page views. It, it, it is primarily a advertising revenue operation and that's why they do it. And like, I know I've known writers that work for two, four, seven that hate doing it 
but they're they have to. It's part of you know, and that's a nice thing for us. It's like what I love about SI is I they don't tell us to do anything. Just put out quality content, put out good journalism, put out good analysis, and you know, be, have some integrity and make us money, right? That that's it, right? And you know, it's never been like, hey man, you should put this kind of stuff out because it's super clickbaity. Like they've never said that to me. Maybe they say that to others. I don't know. I don't think so because they don't say it to me. And and they let us do our thing. Whereas like, you know, guys that I was illustrated, like, you know, Priest and O'Malley, like, you know, you, you, everybody knows I'm fond of those guys and all that. But like the reality is, is they're partnered with a bigger organization that to a degree says this is the kind of we need some of this kind of stuff and you have to put it out. Now, fortunately for them, they don't have to do as much of that. Some of the, you know, the recruiting operation does some of that because it's just more geared towards that. But you know, it's just, it's one of the reasons that that's just not a, a, a an, an organization I'd want to work for. I'm not talking about Irish Illustrated. I'm talking about 247. Same thing with like Rivals. I just, I, I had my, I had my fill working for a company like that. Hard pass moving forward. Here's a question from Red Text Run. Dane Chris' name is always overlooked when big-time quarterback recruits are discussed. How was he perceived as a prospect, and why didn't he pan out? It's a big-time prospect. There were some people I knew that actually thought he was going to be better than Jimmy Clausen because he was 6'5", he was 230, he was a good athlete, and he had a bazooka for an arm. The problem mm-hmm. with Dane was a few things. Number one is he had a super long release that he couldn't control his release point, which created some inaccuracy. There would be times, I, I think of the Hail Mary head at the end of the Michigan game that he literally threw into the stands just because he couldn't control his arm strength. And and he had a long release, so the ball would come out late at times, and he wasn't super accurate. Because the the key to being an accurate quarterback is can you control your release point? And that, to me, is the most important thing because you can have all the feet and everything, but if you can't control your release point, you're not going to be an accurate thrower. You're not going to be an accurate pitcher. It's, It's all about the release point. That's why hand size is so important. So right. I have to cut you off. Right. That's no, it's, it's, it's very true. And and the, the the guys like Michael Vick are the anomalies when it comes to that. Right. It just, that's just, the, that's the concern. And so when you look at Dane, that hurt him. I don't think he ever quite got down progressions super fast because I don't think he had a ton of experience when he got to Notre Dame. The knee injury hurt him. I thought Dane did some good things up until the knee injury. He was not the same player when he was coming back. But, I mean, I've had to say, you know, Dane, Chris was terrible. I was like, yeah, you need to go back and watch the Michigan and Michigan State game in 2010 because Dane was pretty flipping good in those two games. And all I know is when he got hurt in 2010 against Michigan, Notre Dame had a lead and was outplaying Michigan. When he got hurt, they weren't anymore. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, you know, I, I, Michigan State game, he had 32 completions, 369 yards, four touchdowns. He had 304 yards against Stanford. Didn't play great in that game. I thought he played well against Michigan State or Western Michigan, 255 yards, three touchdowns. And then he played really terrible against Navy, and then he got hurt against Tulsa. And he was never the same guy after that. Did he? And, um, did, did that knee injury hurt his athlete? Was he a good athlete coming out? Or was he, he wasn't as athletic. He wasn't guy. as mobile, yeah. but we never, we never saw him. I mean, he only started one game after that and he got benched at halftime. So I don't, I don't know. And I think by the time he got to Kansas, his confidence was just completely shot. I mean, he just, he wasn't the same kid, but I think the final piece that really hurt Dane more than anything was playing for Charlie Molnar and Brian Kelly. I was just bad, bad, bad combination. Charlie Molnar is one of the worst coaches I've ever seen in my life. 
And when you are the or when you are the worst quarterback coach at Notre Dame of the last 15 years, that's bad because that means you're competing with Mike Sanford. And to be worse than Mike Sanford is bad. And he was worse than Mike Sanford because at least Mike Sanford was a decent guy, you know, at least to me. But he's just a bad coach. Charlie Mulner was not only a bad coach, he was an a-hole. And <laughs> um and and some of the stories I've heard from some of the UMass players is pretty appalling. There, there's a reason Charlie Molnar is not, not coaching at this level anymore. Michael Rice, do you think we will go more up-tempo this year? Kelly did it at Cincinnati, but not at Notre Dame. OSU does it, and I see advantages. Michael, I, I think it's one of those things. I'm a, I'm a, Ryan, I want to get your thoughts on this. I'm a big mm-hmm. believer that I think up-tempo works if that's who you are. I'm, right. I'm someone who doesn't believe that there's like one way to do it. I think there's advantages to up-tempo. Absolutely. There's been times in the past, especially last year, where I thought it was a huge advantage. And, mm-hmm. and that's why I pushed for tempo, Michael, because like you had an offensive line that couldn't pass pro in a for a pro-style offense. Pro-style offense has to have some level of five-step drop and play action to really be effective. And you need certain concepts, Ryan, that are a little bit more you know developing and, and some different ideas. And if you can't pass pro, you can't run that offense. And so I thought last year, Michael, that there should have been more tempo. And then they went to that later. They did a little bit more. Te- not, they weren't like pushing the tempo, but they went a little quicker. And and I thought it worked for them. I think in an offense like North Carolina, you have to have some tempo for that air raid to work. I don't think you can run an air raid in a normal snap the ball at five seconds thing. It just doesn't fit. Yeah. And so I also think there's some disadvantages to being in, in a tempo offense. So I think I could sit here and I could tell you, we could talk for 10 minutes about why going tempo is a bad idea and then mm-hmm. we could spend the next 20 minutes talking about why it's a good idea and sure. then we could do the same thing with pro style right and in a more methodical approach i'm a little bit of an in-between kind of thing like i like for me personally i would be more of a pro style guy with a little bit of a of a, of a sense of urgency to it right so like i want to get lined up i want to see what they're doing I want to be able to come out and do that at times. But I also like the idea of being able to motion and shift and, and mix up personnel and doing things like that, which you can't really do in a tempo offense. It's just you just line up and you can maybe make one motion and then you go. You know, so I'm a bit of a traditionalist in what I personally like. Mm-hmm. I also think for Notre Dame, they can recruit to that a little bit better. I think that type of offense fits tight ends better than an air raid, which is geared more towards the Mark Andrews type of tight ends. I don't think it's necessarily as effective for a Michael Mayer type of tight end, if that makes sense. It doesn't mean you can't be effective. It just, I think it's better. So I think it fits the personnel a little bit better. But what it comes down to at the end of the day, Michael, is you have to decide what you want to be. Do you want to be about tempo and and space and doing all that kind of stuff, which is going to have to be gear your offense one way? Or do you want to be more about precision? And I think Notre Dame cares more about precision. I think Tommy Reese is more of a pro-style guy that it's more about, I don't need to run 90 plays. I want to run 65 at a very efficient level where we're trying to maximize what we're doing. I think both of them work if you have the right coach. It's the same thing with defense. I don't care if you're a 3-4, 4-3, 4-2-5, 3-3-5. If you know it and if you can coach it and teach it and if you can recruit to it, it can be effective, you know, and, and that's part of the reason I don't believe in the veer because I don't think you can recruit to it to, to, to win championships, right? Like I just like what big time players are going to want to run the veer. 
I think it's hard to recruit coaches to it because there just aren't a lot of your, I mean, it's practically speaking, they're just nowadays, it's just harder to go find a coach that can coach the veer because they've never coached it before. It's just not a prominent thing. You can find air raid coaches anywhere, you know, pro style coach anywhere because there's so much carryover to it and, and coaching the air raid. And if you're a receivers coach and you're coaching the air raid, you don't have to be a genius. It's pretty simple, you know, uh, but if you're going to be a receivers coach, coaching a pro style offense like Holman Wiggins was at at uh, at Watt, Alabama, so I liked him. If you look at Jamarcus Shepard at Purdue, those are guys running pro style offenses, meaning their receivers have to know like twenty plus different route options in the style of their offense. And so, I just think it depends on who you want to be. I don't think this year for Notre Dame they're going to be a tempo team. I think not being able to go tempo would be a mistake. You have to have that in your hand. Like, man, they're just kicking our butt and they're just, they got our number. So, you know, what we're going to do this next series. We're going to come out and we're going to go. Yeah. I think you got to have that in your, in your, in your tool bag. I don't think it needs to be who you are all the time. And so I think it's easier for a pro style team to speed up than it is for a tempo team to slow down. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of my thought. So I don't think they're going to be more tempo. I think they're going to prefer precision over, tempo this year execution over tempo is what i think that they're going to do well i think i think identity identity is obviously very important i mean that is you know understanding of what you are and what you do best i think it also depends a little bit on on the situation the team that you're playing right it's like if you're playing a, a defense where you know they're down a couple players and they do not have much depth to it then you might want to tempo them a little bit because you're going to tire them out a ton if you're going against an offense on the other side, that is a potent offense. I might want to slow the pace down a little bit to make sure that my defense is not on the field a ton. I might want to work the clock a little bit. I mean, when you look at deciding factors in the football game, time of possession is usually a really big parameter to who wins a football game. It's usually very important. That field position, like those are some of the things that really kind of come to the winning formula to a degree. So I, I believe that you can win in both ways. I believe though, that it's very dependent on who you're playing. There's a lot of factors into whether, but I agree with you to the simple fact that you need, you need to have it possible, right? To be the best team, you need to work at different paces. Like there's not one pace in my opinion, you need to be able to work different, different, um, different opportunities from different levels. Cause there's going to be times where you need pace. There's going to be times where you need to slow things down. I think it has to be in your pocket, but I think it's, Largely dependent on who you're playing against. I think that those factors kind of come into play as well. I would say this too, Michael. I do think it was a mistake for Brian Kelly not to go tempo for the first seven years of his career. The problem they got into is they were they were they were structurally built like the tempo team he was in Cincinnati, but they weren't practically that. So Ryan, they would line up in eleven. I remember, I think it was 2015, 2016, something like they were eleven personnel, like eighty, like almost ninety percent of their snaps. It was insane how much, and they would just line up in almost the same formations. And so, like, that's fine if you're an air raid team or you're a tempo team because you're 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 not allowing the defense to run a lot. But when, and this hurt them in 2015 as well, when you're going slow and you're basically lining up in the same position formation all the time it's easy for the defense to do all types of different things to you. And you're just lining up the same way. And I think that's why if you're going to be a pro style team where you're going to snap the ball, you know, with less than 15 and sometimes even 10 seconds on the clock, you have to give them something to think about. Mm-hmm. And, and that's what they never did. So you, you can't do it that way. You can't go pro style that way either. That was a mistake.
but I, if you watch Tommy Reese last year, especially in the year, they don't just line up and do that. They line up, they shift, they motion, they they make checks, they do all types of things. And and I think that works better. And then they'll still snap the ball sometimes at 20 seconds plus seconds left on the clock. So yeah. I, I think you need that that nice balance. But I, I love the question because I love it whenever we can kind of nerd out on the show. So like when people <laughs> ask questions that like that, it just makes me very, very happy. Rob Didoff, Brian and Vince and Ryan. What are your thoughts on the 2016 ESPN 30 for 30 Catholics versus convicts? I thought it was well done, but I heard some players were irritated that they were left out of the documentary. I don't know about that. Yeah. I thought it was good until the end. And what I mean by that is I got really annoyed with the whole sanctimonious. It wasn't nice. It was mean. They're not all convicts. Miami played that up back then. Like, don't get mad that everybody thinks you're this way when you act that way and you want people to think that about you. They, they, re- they relished it. They too. relished it, it like, at the time. So, yeah. like, they're all acting all silly. Leon, seriously, oh, hurt my feelings. You guys relished that at the time. You wanted to be the bad boys. That's why you hated Notre Dame because you thought they were the nice guys, right? So, like, getting, like, Chuck Todd in there, it's like, well, what does he have to do with any of this stuff? Like, was he on the team? No, shut up. You know, Dan Lebatard, I don't care what Dan Lebatard thinks about anything. That's why I watch a stupid show, you know? That's funny. And so it's like, that that annoyed me, right? Like, they should have only interviewed players and coaches and people that were around. Like, you know, they interviewed the one guy that was ESID at Miami. I thought he brought a unique perspective of, like, what, you know, that's fine. But there was people that, that they were interviewing on the Miami side that it's like, what, why, why are we talking about this? But I thought other than that, the rest of it was great. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the Miami players whining about Cleveland Gary being in. And then Notre Dame's like, well, wait a minute. What about this play to 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 Brown? What was it? It was Eddie Brown. I always forget which Eddie Brown, Brown yeah. was. Eddie Brown. Yep. He mm-hmm. never caught the ball on the touchdown that gave Miami a chance to tie the game. Right? So it's like, you know, I mean, that shouldn't have counted either. So it, it just – um it was really well done in that regard. And then the Baxter mm-hmm. on the on the the shirts and the trouble the guy got in and all that kind of stuff. I thought that was pretty cool, right? Yeah. And uh what led to that rivalry? I thought there was great backstory to it. Like it was really well done, other than that, gee, this was mean type of thing at the <laughs> end. Like, come on, give me a break. I'm supposed to feel sorry for Miami players. Come on, guys. You know, I, I enjoyed it. Rob, I would say it, who were some of the players that were irritated, if you don't mind me asking? You can yeah. just give a couple I haven't, people. Heard, I, I haven't, I haven't heard, heard about that. that. Yeah. So be be curious to hear that as well. But I thought it was – that's the one thing ESPN does really well. I don't know if there's a 30 for 30 I've seen that I didn't like. Even ones that are about sports I have no interest in. Mm-hmm. Like, did you ever see the one about the, uh, uh, Pablo Escobar and the Escobar for the Venezuelan team? I think so. The, the I, soccer team. It was. I think so. Really I, I well think done. I've seen almost every one of them. Yeah, I mean, they're all really, really well done. Yeah, the eighty-three draft one. It wasn't a thirty for thirty, but the thing ESPN did on the eighty-three quarterback draft was yeah. phenomenal. You know, phenomenal. And yes, you know what I really liked was um, you. May, the, I think they did a thirty for thirty on Marcus Dupree, didn't they? The yes, old, the best running that never back? was. Yeah. yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, extremely cool. well done. Yes, yeah. extremely well done. The pony excess was also oh, yeah, really well done. Great really, one. really well done. Gabe Weiss, if Freeman has success in their name, do you think this is a retirement job for him? Would an offer from Ohio State be too much to pass up? I think he's truly fallen in love with Notre Dame. I don't worry about that. I don't worry about him yeah. leaving Notre Dame for Ohio State. I, I don't I don't see that. I I think, you know, could it be a retirement job for him? Sure. But the, the hard part for that is he's so young. Mm-hmm. 
Like if he's here 15 years, he's still, still almost a, a decade younger than what Brian Kelly is right now. Right. Right. Like, so I, I don't think it's going to, because the heirs of the Joe Paternos, number one, that's never existed at Notre Dame. Like Newt Rockney, I think was the longest tenured coach at like what, 13 years. And they were only playing like eight, nine games in most years back then, like nine, 10 sometimes. But you just don't see the Joe Paternos at Notre Dame. You don't see the Bobby Bounds at Notre Dame. It's just a different kind of job. But, and I definitely don't think we're, we see that now. Like people are talking right. about like, you know, Dabo's career, like, you know, it's time for, and he's been there like what, 15 years? Like Something what, like, what like 07, 16 years? It's not even like even coming close to what Paterno was. So mm. I don't think it's going to be a retirement job for him just because he's 36 years old. Who's I mean, think about it. If he coaches 20 years at Notre Dame, he's yep. still five years younger than what Brian Kelly was when he left after 12. He, he'd be 14 years younger than Pete Carroll is right now yeah. as well. <laughs> so yeah. I think what I think what could happen is if like he has the kind of success that would make him a lifer, he'd probably use that to maybe get an NFL job. I think once he's kind of like gotten everything you get out of Notre Dame, you know, they've maybe they've won a couple titles and then they've built this great program. Mm-hmm. You know, okay, now I want to go be a dad, you know, and it's right. easier to do, do that in the NFL now than it is in college football. So I could see something like that way down the road. I wonder who's the longest tenured in the in college right now. Is it Kirk Ferentz? Might be. I don't know. I think it has to be. I can't. It has to be. I mean, he he's at I least mean, in Power Five, right? I mean, yeah. I'm actually look it up. See, Google can be your friend. Longest tenured college football coaches. I know. I, I love it has Google. To be Kirk Ferentz. I love that we have so much information on our fingertips, but then it also does kind of kill conversation sometimes. This you know? is also That's true. <laughs> uh, let's see here. Uh, 2007, 2006. Because Chris yeah. Alt was there Kirk forever. But, yeah. yeah, 1998, Kirk Ferentz. Next closest was Gary Patterson, but he's gone now. Yep. And then the, he, the second most tenured coach is Kyle Winningham. Nice. Because according to this 2021 article, it was – it was Ferenc, then Patterson, and then uh, U- uh, Utah hired Whittingham, and o- Ohio U hired Frank Solich in the same year. Frank Solich has since retired. And yes. then the next longest, most tenured coach after Whittingham is Mike Gundy. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah he's been there a yep. long time. Yeah. Yep. And then the next longest tenured Power Five coach is Pat Fitzgerald. That's what I'm saying, y'all. Oh. Like, you just don't have the Joe Paternos and the Bobby Bowdens anymore. You just, I just don't see that. I don't see that being the case anymore. Yep. I really don't. Garen Nutson, what, what kind of message is sent to Clemson if we get a clean sweep in their territory? Does that create stress within their foundation? Yes. I mean, it, look, I mean, I, I wrote an article about this, right? And f- from so the, the big targets at Notre Dame is, is trying to get out of the Carolinas this year at off- offensive linemen, right? So obviously they got Sam Pendleton. We feel good about their chances with Sullivan Absher later this afternoon. So if they go and get they they get both those kids and then they go and they t- close the deal with a Monroe Freeling, it's monumental because they got three of their top offensive line product, um, targets and they just happen to come out of the Carolinas. But in a sense, right, you should beat Clemson for offensive linemen. I know the mm-hmm. proximity thing comes into the conversation, but it's big in the fact that you went to the Carolinas. That's right. more than anything. It's not the position. Right. It's the fact that you went into the Carolinas and you got your three top targets. That would, would be the monumental part of it. Right. Yes. If they're recruiting outside of the region, their name should beat Clemson more often than not. 
it's the local part. And I think it's also, it's, it's you know, they have a first year coach and it's kind of like, okay, there's going to be a lot of question marks about whether or not he's able to recruit. Cause I don't think like a buddy of mine sent me a link to, um, uh, to a, a Clemson board and thread on two, four, seven. And he let me borrow his password. Cause like, you just got to read this. And there's like one guy that like had any clue of why Notre Dame's having success recruiting offensive linemen. Like the guy, the rest of the board had like no concept of why are kids, why are these offensive linemen going to Notre Dame and no concept. I'm like, y'all act like Harry, he left in Oh four. Right. Like it wasn't that long ago. There's still dudes on the roster. He recruited like, you know, no concept because what I have learned in the last five years, especially, but in the last couple of years, there are so many f- football fans that don't pay attention to anything but their team in Alabama. That's it. And like, you actually have to have someone go on the thread and like list this long list of NFL players that Harry Heastan, you know, developed at Notre Dame. And people are like, wow, I had no idea. Like what, it just makes no sense to me, but I think, but there's a lot of concern about, I mean, look, Dabo hired a lot of unproven coaches. I mean, a, I mean, it was like three years ago, his defensive coordinator was like a personal assistant to Bruce Arians in Arizona, like four years ago. Right. I mean, his O-line coach was a, not a full-time assistant last year. You know, he went out and hired a lot of unproven coaches and it's either going to work great or it's going to be his undoing. And I don't know which one it's going to be, but you know, it, 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 I also think it's kind of a wake up call to Clemson. Like y'all don't carry as much regional weight as you think you do. And, and I think it's going to be a bit of a wake up call because it's kind of like your last title was an 18. You're almost, you're kind of getting to the point where like nobody's left from that team anymore, coaching wise or player wise. And if you don't get back to that soon, you're going to kind of fall by the wayside because you don't have the long-term stability of your program, Ryan, in my opinion, where you can be a Bama or an Ohio State where you can kind of overcome a couple down years because you've won so much for decades. Clemson right. hadn't really been a national powerhouse since the early 80s. Like, I was a baby, mm-hmm. a toddler, the last time Clemson was any was any kind of power like that. And so, you know, I do think there's always been some skepticism. Like, well, can they really keep this thing going? The stand power. Yeah, yeah, this year is going to be important for that. If they have another year like last year, then I think there's going to be a lot of questions about that. And it's going to hurt their recruiting. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Michael Rudiger, we had an article about at Irish Breakdown today, Ryan, where I talked about the possibility of, of Zeke Carell, his breakout this spring, sort of presenting their name with some options. 
of mm -hmm. how to formate their line. And what we talked about a couple weeks ago was when you talk about how to fit, get, fit the, you know, figure out the best five and how they all fit together, you've got a very interesting issue at center because Zeke Crow had a great spring and we've seen him, you know, say he's one of your best five, but you've seen him at guard and it wasn't pretty. Right. And you have to decide, was it coaching? Was he injured? Like, what's the issue? You don't know what he can be. And then you've got this guy that's about to be a four-year starter at center, team captain, leader, all these other things who you and I, I think both believe in college could play all five positions at a very high level. Yep. And the number of guys who can play five positions on the offensive line at a high level, you probably count on one hand. Mm -hmm. Jarrett Patterson's one of them, in my opinion. So do you move that three-year starter, going to be four-year starter, away from center, who's a leader and a captain, to make room for Zeke? Is Zeke that far ahead of the other guys? Do you try to move Zeke again and maybe mess with him again? It's a little bit of a challenging decision. It's not as easy as people think. And from what our sources are telling us, we believe that they're going to make the – that they are leaning towards, if they haven't already made the decision, of moving Patterson out to guard and starting Zeke Carell. So the question that Michael has, and you're going to have an article about this tomorrow, you've already sent to me, I'm going to edit it and publish it tomorrow, is what does that mean for Jarrett Patterson's draft stock? So Michael asked the question, Ryan, I'll let you answer it. Yeah, I mean, Michael, at this point, Jarrett Patterson has three years of film at center, right? So if a team wants to draft him at center, they have the film to back that up of what he looks like as a center at a high level too, at, at a lot of points in his career. The big bonus to him playing guard is, one, guards typically just make more money than centers. Center is kind of the devalued position up front in the NFL. It's kind anyway. of weird. It is kind of weird. I know. I, I always thought, like, left tackle, right tackle, center. Like, that mm -hmm. would be kind of my my hierarchy of offensive line. But for whatever reason, the money talks, and guards make more money than centers on the next level. So the thought that he could maybe potentially play guard – Helps him from a money perspective, right? If a team says, wow, you look great at guard. I'm going to draft you to play guard. That's fantastic. But then the other thing is, so now we have, he could play center. Maybe he could play guard. If he could do both of those things, you make yourself more valuable. And then the other sense of, we all think, and I mean, I, I can at least speak for myself. I think Jared Patterson is going to be a starter long-term on the NFL level, whether that is at center or at guard. But assuming if he stays worst, healthy. Assuming he right. stays healthy. But if it's the worst case scenario, and he's just a backup type swing player inside. The more you can do makes you way more valuable because those guys on the next level that are the depth pieces to an offensive line group have the ability to back up multiple positions. So if he can be a solid player at guard at least, or maybe a good player at guard and be a good player at center, that makes you just all the more valuable. And that's the sticking point. That's how you really last long-term on a roster if you are not a starter. But I think it does help you. And I mean, honestly, I don't think there's any negative to it because it's not like he doesn't have a ton of film at center. He has a ton of film. If he's not a great guard, okay, a team's going to draft him at center. If he's if he's a great guard, they might might make some stuff more valuable. So I just I don't think there's any drawback to from a draft perspective. I'm not, and I talked to Brian about this. It makes me uneasy moving a three-year starter at a position to a position for one year. It does in a vacuum. But if that's your best five, that's your best five, point blank, period. And from an NFL draft perspective, I don't think it hurts Jared at all. I think as far as your best five, I've always said the notion that you're just going to play your five best linemen is, a, is just not a reality. Because you have to pick your best five that can play together as your best five. And I've said this before. If you have five Zeke Carrells, your five best players, that's not going to be a great starting offensive lineman because those guys aren't going to be good at tackle, right? 
but you have to look at it and say, okay, we know that Zeke can play center. We know that Jarrett can play center. So you have to ask yourself, am I more confident that Jarrett can move out to guard and be successful than I am Zeke? Yeah, I am. And that's why I think at the end of the day, I'd, I'd, I'd be okay with that decision because I, I, because we talked about this before you got on the show, Ryan, like he's really long. I mean, you don't yeah. see centers with Jared's length. And that's why I've always felt he could play tackle. That's why I thought, mm-hmm. move, I mean, the best thing that for his draft stock would have been to move him out to tackle last year. And I mean, you know, it worked out well that they didn't. I think uh, the only thing I'll say as a drawback is I don't think it's as easy to just dismiss a down year as if it doesn't hurt him. I do think it hurts him because if he doesn't struggle a guard, then that pigeonholes him to center. And, and I think that could hurt his draft stock. Because like you said, right now, if you need a guard, you can draft Jarrett Patterson. If you need a center, you can draft Jarrett Patterson, assuming he has a good year guard. Whereas if he struggles, the guards are like, well, you know, guy's a fifth-year senior. He started a lot of football. Like, it's not like you at, moved him to tight end. Like, this guy should, you know, should have made a smooth transition. Yeah. I just don't see that happening. I don't think it's going to be an issue. I think Jarrett Patterson yeah. is going to thrive a guard. As long, The only concern I have about Jarrett Patterson is health. That's it. Mm-hmm. That's the only one. Because, yeah. you know, two years ago he had the season-ending injury on his foot, and then this offseason he's had the pec injury. And they're both kind of freaky. Like, you know, one he got stepped on, I think, and then the other one is, you know, torn pec is a, is a weird thing. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting. Very, very interesting. Very, very good questions here so far. Here's a good question from Gabe Weiss. Would you rather have this year's staff or last year's staff, but Brian Kelly has Charlie Weiss's recruiting prowess and want to? still want this year's staff <laughs> yes yeah yeah it's yeah. a no-brainer for me yeah. yeah i agree yeah i and i would still want marcus freeman as the head coach right i mean there's just i'm, I'm good i'm Cause, good because they are now i'll take his recruiting prowess over charlie's right i mean yes because charlie yeah. was great at recruiting offensive players it wasn't great right. at recruiting defensive players now we don't know for sure that this staff's going to be great at recruiting offensive players they're not there yet but they're trending in the right direction so we'll, we'll have to see. Jared Rhodes. Brian, everything is trending up with next year's class. A lot to be excited about. Going a little negative. What are the question marks or points of concern moving forward? It's a good one, Ryan. Do you want to – so are we talking recruiting or team? I, I, I'm, I'm taking this I'm as a recruiting team. question. Are see, you okay, see, question? Yeah, because, I mean, he started off with next year's class. So I. So let's go, let's go both. Mm-hmm. I think recruiting-wise, we've discussed a little bit. The offense still needs to fill up, right? Sure. They – I'm not like I, we both feel good about where they are with Monroe Freeling, but if you miss him, you're not getting a pure left tackle in this class. And that's a little bit of a concern. Right. Receiver there. They got a lot of guys on the board, but do you land your four five and six guys? Or do you land a couple from your top three to four? Those are question marks. Sure. And then defensively it's, it's corner. I mean, they don't have been in the class from corner. Those are the bigger question marks. Yeah. And, and team wise, Ryan, when you look at this team, what are the first couple things that immediately pop up in your head when you think of what could keep this team from taking the next jump? It, injuries at the skill positions, one that pops up, right? Because it's just so it, there's such so much. Well, I'd just say just injuries at wide receiver, I guess, in general, because there's just so, such a lack of depth right now. I mean, quarterback not taking a step forward would be another one. And then. I mean, outside of that, there's nothing that's like – I mean, other than that, honestly, it's it's the special teams for me. <laughs> like, I'm just like, what's the kicking game going to look like? Is the punting going to be consistent? I I have a lot of question marks about the about the kicking and punting game right now. I think quarterback, obviously, is still an unproven commodity. I, like, I sure. love the talent there and the potential, but it's still an unproven commodity. Receiver is a big question mark. I mean, this class is going to have to fill out, and then can they do it year after year because – 
Jancy Stuckey's walking into a hot mess from a from a depth standpoint. And I still think the secondary's got to get better. I, I still think they have good secondary talent. I think it needs to get better to consistently be that team that's competing for championships. Because if you get into a game against Alabama and they're able to slow your pass rush down, you're done. Done. And that's a problem. And that's an area that's got to get better. So I think those, to me, are the point. And I, I like the coaching. I, I think Mike Mickens is a very good football coach. But can Mike Mickens recruit the talent to Notre Dame the way that he that, that he needs to? I think he's improved it, right? Certainly. I mean, again, I think the, I think Mickey and Morrison, and you've never really responded to this, so I'd kind of be curious to your answer on this. To me, mm-hmm. it's the best one-two punch they've signed at corner since, again, as far as high school recruits. Because obviously, right. the Troy Pride, Julian Love turned out to be a great corner tandem. But nobody thought they were going to be that when they signed. And I graded them both as four stars, and I didn't think they were going to be that good. Mm-hmm. Especially, especially uh, Love. But to me, it's the best from a recruiting standpoint. The best one-two punch they've signed since since T. Shepard and and uh, and Kavari Russell in 2012. But there's still another level I think they can get to, and they need to get to from a consistency standpoint. Where if you're signing that two every year, I'm fine. I, I don't, mm-hmm. I don't. This is whenever Smitty and I disagree a little bit. Like I, their name's just not going to go get the five star corners very often. It's just not going to happen very often. But if you give me a Jaden Mickey and a Benjamin Morrison every year, I, I, I'm okay with that, right? As long yeah. as your D line is still doing what they're doing. So, mm-hmm. I, but, but I still do think it needs to do it consistently. You can't just do it once every three or four years. It has to be consistently letting good football players a corner. And Agreed. safety as well. I think those those two positions are, the, are still the biggest concern for me. And if they don't get Dante Moore in 2023, quarterback becomes a problem. Because Tyler Buckner is, you know, he's going into year two. He, he burned eligibility as a freshman, as he should have. He's not a five-year guy, most likely. And the injury history, right? And, and he's only had the one big one. But the point about the injury history is not the injury history being the concern. But if he has an injury... You know, I don't know how much longer Drew Pine. I mean, Drew Pine's probably going to be on pace to graduate after this year. Mm-hmm. And if he's not the starting quarterback, I can't. I, I I guarantee he will not leave until he graduates. After he graduates, all bets are off. And he was an early enrollee, so he may be on pace to graduate this year. So mm-hmm. that would be the other one for me. If the, if they don't land Dante more, then my concern level goes way higher. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, to, speaking to the secondary, it's it's a good mention. That's one of the positions where, I mean, corner and wide receiver, I feel like has been a talking point from a fan perspective for a while, right? Like that's where you need to improve to go against the Bamas of the world, right? Like, I mean, I think you saw when they played Alabama a couple of years ago in the playoff, I mean, there was just an obvious athleticism difference between Devonta Smith and everybody else in the secondary. I mean, it was just, it was very, very noticeable. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, I think the talent's there, though. I don't think it's a, a talent issue as much as – I mean, it's a depth issue to a degree, especially at, at wide receiver. But I think the talent's there. It's just about developing that talent, obviously. But, I mean, it has to be better. It does. I mean, I think somebody said in the chat, like, it seems like in every big game that the secondary doesn't play well. And I, I don't think that that's 100% accurate. But I would say that there's definitely deficiencies that get taken against the better teams. Like, there's no because- doubt. Because here's the thing, and people will say the 18 secondary didn't play well because they'll point to the touchdowns late. And the, but it was one one guy got hurt and it changed mm-hmm. everything. Yeah, and that's the depth issue that you talked about. That's that's the problem. Is like you know, Bama can lose a corner and still go out and beat Cincinnati convincingly, right? Notre Dame can't. 
in those kind of games. Maybe Cincinnati, but not normal, not normal playoff teams. So I think that's where the depth piece comes in. And and I do think the talent's got to get better. You should never be in a situation in the game where you're having to play Clarence Lewis as a freshman or a sophomore. I don't right. think they recruited Clarence Lewis thinking they were going to have to play him as a freshman and a sophomore. And that that's a concern for me. Mm-hmm. Here, here's one. Gabe Weiss, who is the GOAT, greatest of all time, of Notre Dame football players, regardless of position. Ever? I oh, mean, man. yeah, that's a that's an interesting one. I feel like we need to go position by position almost. <laughs> like it's so tough to quantify one guy as the goats, right? Yeah. I mean, guys that popped in my head are like Tim Brown, Quentin right. Nelson. Um, I'd have to find somebody that like uh, you know like won a title. That would be right. my only. That would be my only caveat. You know, it's like here's the thing. Here's why you know I wanted to bring it up because it's interesting. Mm-hmm. But it's like, how am I supposed to compare George Gipp to Rocket Ismail? Right. Right. Like, how am I supposed to do that? Now, I mean, George Gipp still has records at Notre Dame. Dude averaged over eight yards a carry one year. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it just, it was nuts. But, like, how am I supposed to compare that to, you know, what guys did today? He also, he averaged 8.1 yards per carry in his last year. He had 827 rushing yards. You know, he also completed 30 pass, or, you know, 30 passes for 708 yards through nine interceptions. Like, how am I supposed to compare that? So right. that's why I say the greatest of all time arguments to me are never are never overly productive because it's just ho- so hard to compare eras. And, and and to your point, I mean, for a long time, Notre Dame was a triple option offense. How do we compare Brady Quinn to Tony Rice, right? Like, it's it's just... I mean, Tony different. Rice was a Heisman runner-up in a year where he threw two touchdown passes and nine picks. Right. It's just different eras, you know? So... Who's the greatest of all time? I mean, I'd have to go back and look at the eras where they were winning championships and see who they're like. Like, I'd, I'd have to think I'd have to pick someone off that forty, that mid forties team that like went four years and never lost a game. You know, one three, and who was their best player then? You know, uh, but uh, we should have we should have a show where we just have everybody give their answers and reasons for it. That would be really, that would be really, fun. really fun. I mean, that's why we have a message board, right? Exactly. Great topic. <laughs> Great one, Ryan. Well done, my friend. Is the Ian Johnson? Is the staff looking to only add one corner this class and get numbers for twenty four? It seems like there's a ton of offers out for next year, and doesn't seem like we're doing that well for twenty three. I, I mean, I think they would like to take two, right? I mean, in twenty twenty three, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's definitely. And I think that you're loading up because you, I mean, cornerbacks are just a very important position nowadays, right? So they, they want to make sure that they're doing due, due, due diligence in 2024. But I mean, you can tell the, the corner board in 2023 is expanding though, too. Like let's not look past that at, at this point as well. So yeah, you need to get two. I mean, whether that is Christian Gray, one of the Micahs, um, kid they just offered out of Texas who, who we reported is going to be visiting soon. Like there's, there's guys on the board and it's Calvin a, it's Simpson a, Hunt. Calvin yeah. Simpson Hunt, who's a real talented just player. offered Josiah Wagner, who I know you like. Yes. Yep. So yeah, yeah. they're trying to get guys. And I also mm-hmm. think, right, it's May 13th. We're still eight months away from the first signing day and 10 months away from the second one or nine months away from the second one. So I think it's a little too early to, to say we're not doing well. There's guys they're in on. And all the guys we just mentioned are top 200 players. So, you know, they're not they're not like going to the well, let's go sign uh, you know, Low Wood or Spencer Boyd or something like that mold yet. They're not there yet. I can't bl- I can't believe you just threw shade at Low Wood. I know. <laughs> I, I I like Low Wood, but you're not yeah. winning a championship with Low Wood. 
There, there's a really good question from Connor O'Doherty, and I and I think this is I want to have a blue bloods conversation one of these days. And now we we don't really have time for it now, uh, but I want to get there at some point in time. I'm gonna mark that one down for one to talk about. That'd be a fun summer one. Brandon Plensner says, What do you see from Benjamin Morrison that makes you so high on him? Because we were talking earlier how I said I think he's a top hundred player. The question was, Ryan, who has the highest upside on corner at corner outside of Cam Hart? Mm-hmm. And I said of the guys currently on the roster, I'd probably go with Ryan Barnes. If not him, Jaden Mickey. It's fair. If you then include Benjamin Morrison, who will show up this summer because he's currently not on the team yet. If you look at him when he arrives this summer, then my answer is very clearly Benjamin Morrison. That's my like easy, easy over Barnes, not close. Yes. Or, yes. Yeah. Easy over Barnes. Like I said, he's the best cornerback Notre Dame has signed since 2012, in my opinion. Like just coming out of high school. I big Benjamin Morrison fan. So why? It's a good, very good question. Number one, I think he's very long. I think he's fast. I think he's athletic. I think he's got explosiveness to him. He's physical. And I think he has really good corner instincts. I think he's a guy that that in high school did more off coverage and you saw his route recognition. Cause that's something you don't always see from corners who are just super athletic in high school. They just put them up at the line of scrimmage and say, you know, go lock dudes down. Now you don't know what kind of instincts they have and feel for coverage. He's got a really high IQ. I think he's just got the total, like there's nothing about his game other than I just don't see him playing a lot of press man that I don't love. I mean, he doesn't grade out very, very high Mm -hmm. again, size plus, I mean, he's six foot, I've 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 talked to people in Notre Dame say no he's actually grown he's six one I, I don't know if he's six one he's at least six foot he's got yeah. well above average arm length he's physical he can run he's got a great frame uh, great instincts I mean I just don't know what he's missing I don't know what his game is missing now clearly I'm a I'm I'm in the minority here if you go look at his recruiting rankings I, you know but that's those are the same people that ranked Sauce Gardner as like the sixteenth hundred best player in the country. But I don't know what they see that I don't or that Alabama doesn't or that Washington didn't or Notre Dame doesn't because I know the Notre Dame staff is extremely high on Benjamin Morrison as well. So, Ryan, I'd be curious to kind of get your thoughts on, on number one, your thoughts on Benjamin Morrison, and then answering the question that I addressed to you earlier, which I never gave you a chance to answer, which is how do you stack up that one-two punch of Mickey and Morrison compared to past Notre Dame cornerback tandems coming out of high school? Yeah, I mean, it's the best one that I can think of just off the top of my head. I mean, it, especially in recent years, I don't think it's actually particularly Well, there's more close. years they have signed no corners than they have two really good ones right. in the last exactly. five years. Yeah, so I mean, I guess just by default in that in that instance, right? Like, uh, yeah, I, I I mean, just off the top of my head again, I, I feel like that's a pretty safe one. Morrison, for me, like I felt like he was a little different than what they've gotten at Washington at corner, honestly. Like, they, they obviously, Washington was a big player for him, right? So... Like, I, I think of him as a Jimmy, like, I, I start thinking about the Jimmy Lake prototype, and they're usually getting guys like Byron Murphy or Trent McDuffie that came out this year that are a little bit shorter, but they're just really intelligent football players, right? And I think that Benjamin Morrison has that, but he brings a, a level of length that I don't feel like they don't usually get at the University of Washington, and I think he's a good all-around athlete. So, yeah, I, I think that he is... Again, I, I could have the conversation whether you think that Ryan Barnes or Morrison has a higher upside. I think that they both of them have a tremendous upside. And, I mean, the length that Barnes has is just silly stuff, right? Mm-hmm. I, I think, though, that overall Morrison's a more fluid athlete than Ryan Barnes and a little bit faster, too. So I think he has a higher athletic upside. But, yeah, I think that if he's not the second most talented corner on the roster, then he's third. Like, I think I think it's pretty cl- I think it's pretty easy for me in that sense. 
I've always felt that Jimmy Lake would like bigger corners. I just don't think he was able to recruit him. And so he just made the most, like he went after the other guy. Like you look at like the, the, the city Jones and the Jordan Millers are mm-hmm. guys that he clearly pushed. Like, and it's not just that they recruited, but like early in their career, immediately they were getting a push. Like he really wanted to get those guys in the lineup. So he has had some longer guys like that. And I think a lot of and Kevin, had, Kevin King, Kevin too. King was yeah. a big one too. I yeah. just think it was a little harder for them to get those guys consistently. That's, fair. Uh, that's what I think the issue was. But when he's had those guys, they've done very well, right? Mm-hmm. And I think that's what speaks volumes to him and his ability as a defensive backs coach is that he could recruit a Kevin King and a Jordan Miller who are polar opposites from Kyler Gordon and Trent McDuffie and yeah. still have the same level of success. That speaks to a guy that can coach DBs. Now, head coach and D coordinator, different conversation, right? He's like Kerry Coombs from Ohio State. That guy should just be a DB coach. Just let him go coach DBs. DBs. Don't let him do anything else except DBs and recruit. Because he's not a D coordinator, but you know sometimes you kind of get caught into those. But that's what I think of Benjamin Morrison. I graded him out as a top hundred recruit. I don't know if you I, I, if you're that high on him, Ryan, but I did. I just I love this game. I love the entire package. The DNA matters to a degree. It's like a intangible, but it's not a driving force. I don't just because right. the kid's good doesn't mean or dad's good doesn't mean the kid's going to be good. It's a check and, though. Yeah, he's been around the game. It yep. does, and and it's also a check. His offer list is a check, but it doesn't. I'm not high on him because Alabama and Washington like him. Alabama and Washington liking him that the way they did confirms what I felt about him, and that's kind of how I view that one. So, get the last couple before we get out of here, uh, Ryan. Here we go. Jacob Watson, would this potentially be the first year where Notre Dame gets players at every position of need where they close the gap? This is a great question. So I mean, yeah. quarterback, running back, receiver, tight end, O-line. So that we'll just make them more broad. D-line, linebacker, corner safety. Is there mm-hmm. a chance in this class that they get a kid in, at every position where they close the gap? I mean, I guess we got to go by position, right? I mean, if you get a Dante Moore, which we still think they're in good position for, that obviously closes a gap. Does the running back – do either one – like if they get Jaden Lamar, do you think that Irvin Jr. Lamar closed the gap in any way? Probably not, right? No. no. I don't think yeah. so. No. Yeah. Yeah. So but then why receivers – I think – I mean, if they get a class – They've already of, got one, in my opinion, a receiver. Yeah. If they get Braylon, Braylon James is a gap closer, but if you get also a Rodney Gallagher in the class potentially or a Jaden Greathouse and a, like that combination, then you definitely close the gap, right? Mm-hmm. I think Cooper Flanagan's a good player. I don't know if I'd call him a gap closer, though. I think mm-hmm. he's. I think he could be a. I think he could be a good player at Notre Dame, but I don't think he's a difference maker. If that makes sense, so I would be a no for tight end, offensive line. I mean, yeah, if they get Monroe Freeling, Charles Jagasaw, Sam Pendleton, Sullivan Absher, and then whoever the fifth is, yeah, that's a gap closing class, in my opinion. Absolutely, mm-hmm. I think Monroe Freeling is a gap closer. I think Charles Jagasaw is a gap closer, and I think at worst. Sam Pendleton's a really nice depth piece, and I think Sullivan Absher has starting upside too. So, yeah, that's a gap-closing class. Defensive line, absolutely. You have several gap-closers in that group. I think Drake Bowen's a gap-closer at linebacker. I think that at corner, you don't have anything right now. So that's my biggest question mark as far as if they can find anybody in that regard. And then safety, you have gap, a gap yeah. closer in Peyton Bowen, in my opinion. I think there's some guys that get – there's a gap closing guys at corner. And, again, we've defined gap closing means two different things. One is you close the gap in that you've made yourself better, mm-hmm. right? And I think Micah Bell, Christian Gray, guys like that make Notre Dame better. They're not the same kind of gap closer like a Braylon James or, better yet, a Dante Moore, a Monroe Freeling, 
Although that's more of a gap widening because that is one position where you obviously with Harry he stand, but you get the point, yeah. right? Like if the, the, mm-hmm. that Micah Bell's not in the same category as Keon Keeley. He's more in the same category as Devin Houston and Bubakar Traore and, and guys were like, you know, you, you close the gap, meaning you raised yourself up. Right. Mm-hmm. And then there's the guys that are just like, okay, you gave yourself a guy that's on that level. Some like Micah Bell is not necessarily a guy that makes you as good at Bama at corner, but it makes you better than you've been, which means you're closing the gap on Bama. Whereas right. a Dante Moore, a guy like that is you're getting a guy that is at Bama normally. And I think that's, that's uh, um, a, a big part of that. So I, I think that's kind of my answer to that. Chief Brody with a super chat. Thank you, chief. I want to see some bombs from Tyler Buckner 12 this season. I do too. Cause that's the one thing I'm not completely sold that he can do. Ryan, I mean, I think that's still, to me, the biggest question about Tyler Buckner is can he be a guy that can beat you consistently down the field? Right. That's a that's a legitimate question. It's a and very legitimate I, question. Yeah, and I mean, with the with the running game that we think that they can have in Notre Dame this year and the element that Tyler Buckner brings to that, I would think the play-action game could be money this year, man. So that ability to push the ball down the field is going to be huge for Notre Dame. And if Buckner can do it, I think Notre Dame's going to be in for a very good season if that is something that he's able to do this year. No doubt. We have a super chat from Garen Nutson. Thanks for the great show, guys. Show as always, IB and family. See y'all soon. And for some good news, God is good. Trust him. I agree with that sentiment completely. Uh, Mace AK, thank you very much for that, Garen. Very, very much. Mace AK says it best. Join the message board, everybody. Hit that like button. Hit the subscribe. Hit the notification bell. Share this podcast. Leave a five-star review. And as always, go Irish. Thanks, everybody. And we will see you all literally very, very soon.